you go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to John chapter 1, and we're going to be there in just a few minutes. Uh, I'm a little bit like Daniel this morning. I, for one, am really glad to be here with you, and I'm really glad there's not 10 inches of snow outside on the ground. Uh, I think my family's really, really glad that they didn't have to listen to my entire sermon again over the breakfast table like they did last week, you know, and you're ready to go. you got to preach to somebody, so glad we're Glad we're gathered here this morning, but we're going to continue on. I, th- I think I maybe have a love-hate relationship with the snow. You know, when you're a pastor, you're really hoping the blizzard doesn't come on Sunday morning. I mean, there's a lot of other days that it could that come. And also, when you hear that snow's coming and you're a, you're a Jeep owner, you get a little bit excited about what you get to do with the snow with your Jeep. So we had some fun. Not quite the redneck uh, sledding like Daniel had there, but it doesn't surprise me at all that Daniel went redneck sledding. Just not at all, so... Anyway, uh, John 1, uh, we're going to walk through and continue this Advent series together and talk about what that looks like for us and our families as we, uh, during this Christmas season. But let me, let me set up what we're going to look at in John chapter 1 with an illustration like this. You, you probably know this, but just as a reminder, for centuries and centuries, the common thought among scientists was that our earth, the planet we live on, was really the center of our solar system and really the center of the whole universe. I mean, it was perceived from what we could see from earth for centuries that as you look up, everything really orbits around us, planet earth, and that was kind of the idea. Everything was built out of that mindset that we're kind of the center and everything's kind of revolving around us until... In the 16th century, a fellow named Nicholas Copernicus, remember him? You studied him in school. Copernicus said, no, 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 no. He theorized mathematically and by his observations, he said, I think we've got it all wrong. In other words, I I believe that we're not the center and everything's revolving around us. I think, in fact, our planet and all the planets of our solar system orbit around something much greater than us. There's this huge, huge gaseous object of the sun. I think we revolve around the sun. And if you don't know, Copernicus was right. But when he theorized that, all the scientific community gave him incredible pushback that the thought was, no, 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 we're the center and everything revolves around us and you're trying to tell us we revolve around something else. Now, what in the the world is the point of that this morning? You and I have a natural tendency to believe that everything revolves around us. Right? And all the parents in the room went, yes. And when we have that mindset that is our natural drift, even as followers of Christ, that's the natural drift. And by the way, we're living in a season right now, especially Christmas time, that everything we're hearing and everything we're receiving can lead us to believe, you know what, it really is all about us and everything revolves around us. But when we have that mindset, man, it affects our relationships, doesn't it? It affects how we spend our money. When we slowly begin to drift that it's all about us and we begin to operate that way. It can certainly affect the way we view God and our relationship with God because subtly we will begin to believe, and we would never say this, but we will begin to believe that God exists for us rather than we exist for His glory. So this shift can go on in our hearts 
Advent, this season that we're in for really centuries, has been a rhythm of the church to at least once a year, really throughout the year, but in particular this season, to step back and focus and be reminded, hey, everything doesn't revolve around us. Our lives revolve around one who is much greater than us, Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the reasons it's so important for us to gather like this as the people of God and sing like we just sang this morning and to hear the word of God and to spur one another on is to be reminded, hey, it's not all about you. We're not the center of it all. It's him. Now, the gospel of John this morning is going to give us great help in this, and that's the point. We're walking through the Gospel of John, just the beginning during this Advent season. And the point is really to step back and to gaze through the eye of faith and be reminded of the greatness of who Jesus is. That's our whole point. Because when we're reminded, watch this, when we're reminded who Jesus is and we remember that, no, He's the center and all of our life orbits around Him, the only way your life and my life operates rightly is to have the proper orbit. He's at the center and our lives revolve around Him. That's the only way our life works. So we want to be reminded this morning of the greatness of who Jesus Christ is. This Advent season is intended to do that. Uh, encourage you. My, uh, I'll just tell you, my goal this morning is I'm not going to finish a sermon uh, in a sense. I'm just going to kind of start one. And the hope is that you take some of these resources that have been provided for you, this reading guide and this reading plan, Parents and families, our family ministries team has done an incredible job of putting together FDP, Family Discipleship Plan, Advent resources for you. So the exact same truths that I'm going to go over this morning are available to you online at the FDP Advent Plan for you to then take around your kitchen table, at the Christmas tree, wherever that is in your home, and continue these discussions with your family and discipleship to continue at home. So that's the plan this morning. And we're going to look at John chapter 1, and we're going to walk through kind of the Christmas story, if you will, from John's perspective. So look with me, John chapter 1, verse 1. John's going to help us this morning. Just as a review, John is the writer of the Gospel of John. Same John that wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John that we spent weeks in a few months ago. Same John that wrote Revelation, and he's a disciple of the Lord Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and his goal is to hold out very simply in this gospel, here's who Jesus is. And it's important to understand what we're getting ready to read. It's always important when you're reading something in the Bible to say, okay, who is the audience? Who is the author writing to to understand why he used certain words and certain phrases? So John, in this day, is really writing to two groups. This is going to help you. One group was, was Greeks of his day, Gentiles, non-Jews. The other group were Jews who had followed the Old Testament. They had a certain understanding of God. And John is writing to both of these groups simultaneously. And that will help us understand why he chooses a word he does here in John chapter 1, verse 1. For us, we want to behold and gaze this morning upon the beauty of who Jesus is through John chapter 1. So follow with me. I'm going to read a few verses, and I'm going to jump down in verse 14. We're going to have two big truths this morning. That's it. Then you're going to take these and press these out in your own life and in your own families uh, in the coming weeks. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. Pause for a second. (laughs) There's a lot here. 
See, all the other gospel writers, Mark, Luke, Matthew, when they come at the Christmas story, if you will, they in effect start maybe with the genealogies, but then they focus on Bethlehem and the birth of the Christ child, of when God became a man and the baby was born in Bethlehem. John, at the beginning of his gospel, goes all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, John says. And if you know Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very start of your Bible, you know that it starts the same way. In the beginning, God created. So John is taking us all the way back before anything was created. Before anything existed, there was the Word. What does that mean? John, why are you using this phrase and this descriptor of Jesus this morning? Let's keep reading. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Describing Jesus, he says, Jesus from the very beginning forever is with God. And then he goes on and makes a crazy, astounding statement. He says, and at the same time, the Word was God. Wow. Keep reading. He was in the beginning with God. He repeats that phrase again. Verse 3. All things were made through him. This is an astounding statement. I almost wish you could come at this this morning as if this were the first time you've ever heard this. Many of us are so familiar with this. Our family's trying to memorize this over Christmas. Just as if you'd heard this for the first time. Whoever this word being is, this person that John is referring to, listen, all things were made through him. And without him, not Anything that was made, was made. Not at the molecular level, not the protons and the neutrons and the electrons, not a single one came into existence apart from him, not at the galactic level, not a single galaxy or planet holds in place or is in its orbit apart from him. Wow. John goes on down to verse 14 and then makes an incredible statement in light of all that. One of the most important verses in the entire Bible. He says this, And this word, or and the word, became flesh. Became a human. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Just incredible statements here. So let's try to break these apart a little bit. Two big truths are going to come out of these. Here's your first big truth I wanted you to see this morning, and it's this. Big truth number one, that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. Now, Pastor Mike, what does that mean? And as I try to walk my family through that this week, why does John choose that phrase here? Well, to help you understand, remember I told you earlier that John's writing to two different audiences. He's writing to a Gentile Greek audience. He's writing to a Jewish audience. So in the Greek world of that day, there was a word that everybody knew. It's a very common word. You'd use it in, in his common vernacular of the day, and it was the word logos or logos. And in that day in the Greek world, you know, with all their pantheons of gods and all these gods, there was the understanding in the Greek mind of that day that there was this, 
there was this supreme force that held everything together. If you use the word logos in that day, in the Greek day, it meant the ordering principle of the universe. This impersonal force, kind of like George Lucas, Star Wars a little bit, held everything together. They at least understood in their minds, because God put it in their hearts, something is holding it all together. Something has brought it into being, and something is holding it all together. That was the Greek mind. And they gave a name to that something, and it was Logos. John writes and says, in the beginning was this Logos. And John takes it a step further in the Greek mind, and he says, in fact, let me introduce you to this Logos. He's not an impersonal force. He's a person in his own right. He was with God from the beginning, and oh, by the way, he was God from the beginning, and he's taken on flesh and dwelt among us. This, this force that you know is there, let me introduce you to him. His name is Jesus. And that's John's point in the Greek world. Then he writes, he uses the word logos because Jews could understand it in this sense. It's kind of a link word between the two cultures. In the Jewish mindset from Genesis throughout the whole Old Testament, really all of history, God has been making himself known. The only way we know anything about God in our time-space continuum of what we live in is that God has revealed himself. He's spoken. He's made himself known. And that was the Jewish mindset. So for Genesis, there were phrases like... After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, Genesis 15. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 15. The word of the Lord came to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 6. In other words, the Jewish mindset was the word of the, God, the, word of the Lord is God speaking. It is God revealing himself. It is God making himself known progressively throughout history. Hebrews chapter 1 explains this to us, so hang with me. Hebrews 1.1 explains this. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in portions, in many portions and in many ways, summing up all of history, the writer of Hebrews says, God's been speaking. God's been revealing himself. God's been making himself known. The writer of Hebrews goes on and says, in these last days, that's messianic language. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. So you put that together, and you put it together with what John is saying in John 1 1 about the word was with God and words God. Here's the point why he uses this idea of word. It is the full and complete revelation of God making himself known. It's not just a voice from heaven, it's not just an impersonal force in the universe. It is God himself, the second person, Jesus Christ. God has fully made himself known to us. And he chooses this phrase, word. In other words, the way we know what God is fully like and the way we know the character of God is to look at his full and complete revelation, the living word, Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I wasn't there. But we have the living written word as a window to look upon who God is. He's made himself known to us. You want to know what the love of God is like with skin on and how he interacts with people and demonstrates perfect love? You look at the person of Jesus Christ. 
And you want to see the full sovereignty of God and how he rules and reigns. Yet with perfect humility and perfect mercy and perfect justice and perfect love. You look at the person of Jesus Christ. You want to see the mercy of God, the power of God, the compassion of God. You look at his revelation, his making himself known, the word, Jesus. That's what John's saying. You don't have to chase some... You don't have to chase some dream or some phantom or some mystical representation of God. God in his great grace has chosen to reveal himself to you. He's come to you in the person of Christ. He's revealed himself in the living word. You only know about God because he's chosen to reveal himself to you. How many of you have been in a relationship, maybe even now, and you wish someone would make themselves a little more known to you? You wish they would talk a little bit more and open up and reveal who they are. God has revealed who he is in his fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. We know him. John says this God has made himself known. Jesus is the word. Now he expands on that a little bit. John 1.1, he says, just a couple big ideas that flow out of this. The first one is this, the word has always been. He makes an incredible statement. He says, in the beginning was. In the beginning was the word. It's always been. In other words, there's never been a day, there's never been a moment, there's never been a time, there's never been an instant in in all of history, in all of eternity, past, present, future, that the word Jesus did not exist. And by the way, did not fully exist as God forever and ever and ever and ever. Here's what that means practically for you and me. I was reading through this this week and then it just gripped me this way. The one you follow, Jesus Christ, whose spirit dwells within you, child of God, operates completely outside of time. Say, so, okay, what, is, what does that mean? How many of you have ever been in a situation in your life and, and you have to make a decision, and, and maybe it's a major decision, maybe you're facing a major decision right now, and you get to the other side of that decision, you go, man, I wish I knew, I wish I had known then making that decision what I know now. You ever thought that? You realize God never learns anything. Nothing ever occurs to God in his infinite reality of who he is. Meaning God leads and guides your life through his word and your time spent with him and through the people of God with perfect awareness of past, present, and future. Therefore, seek him, cry out to him, and watch this. Here's just an easy application. Trust him. Trust him. He is never limited by time. He is never early. He is never late. He operates an eternal present in the way he deals with you. He sees it all at an instant. You say, I can't even get my mind around that. That's the God who has come to you. That's the God that you can know personally by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the God that you cry out to in prayer. So he is. Jesus, the Word, has always been. In the beginning was the Word. And then secondly, really quick, the Word is powerful. I love this. Verse 3 says, all things came into being through him. In other words, everything we see, everything that exists, everything again at every level from the galactic to the subatomic level is all created by him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Everything exists. And currently, according to Colossians chapter 1, everything is held together by Jesus himself. Who is holding the electron, protons, and neutrons together at that level? You say, well, it's called this. I'm sure. But who is the one who brought that into being? Jesus Christ himself holds it all together. 
And 2 Peter says, by the, by the way, there will be a day that he releases it and it all dissolves. That day's coming. So he holds it all together. He's powerful. This Jesus that we walk with and that we pray to and that we focus on. And the point of all this is to take a step back and just gaze upon the greatness of this Jesus who is God, who has always been, who is infinitely powerful, who's existed forever. Just thinking about an illustration on this. I looked up a couple things this past week. and I looked up some truths about our galaxy. Just the galaxy that we live in. The Milky Way galaxy. It's not much bigger than all the other galaxies. It's not a super galaxy or anything like that. But if you were to go from one side of our galaxy to the other is 12,000 light years from one side of our galaxy to the other. That means it takes light traveling at 186,000 miles a second, which is really fast. Bam! takes light 12,000 years to get from one side of our galaxy to the other. It's just one galaxy. Astronomers tell us there's billions of galaxies in the universe. Now watch this. This caught my attention. Our galaxy has about 200 billion planets in it. That's a lot. If you extrapolate that out over all the known galaxies, here's a number that just blew me away. They believe, scientists believe, that there's that many planets in all the known universe. 400 billion trillion planets in all the universe. And you know what? Scientists don't even know. That's just all we know right now. Now take a breath. Every single one of them exists because of Jesus Christ created them and brought them into being. And every single one of them stays in their orbit and exactly where they are in a way our brains can't even imagine. Because the Bible says he holds all things together in its proper balance. Therefore, you can trust him. You can trust him. Jesus is the word. Gaze upon him. Don't let the busyness and all the distractions of the season rob you of time to take this word and just sit and ponder and meditate worshipfully and prayerfully on who Jesus is. He's powerful. He's always been. Now, I want to give you a, a second big truth in just the time we have remaining. And again, this is, these are beginnings of a message for you to take home and wrestle with on your own and with your families and with your kids and walk through some of these things. So go back to John 1.1 again. Let's read it again. I'm going to give you a second big truth. First big truth, Jesus is the word. Second big truth is this, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Everybody that heard that, possibly, okay, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Greek, I hear that, logos, I kind of got this in mind, this, okay, I, I don't fully understand that. Jews heard that, okay, the expression of God, I get that, but then John keeps going, hang with me. He says, and this Word was with God. It's always been with God, forever and ever and ever. There's been some kind of relationship between this word and God. I don't fully understand it. And John says, just hang with me. And then he goes another step and he says, and oh, by the way, this word was God. Here's your second big reality this morning. Jesus is fully God. I want you to listen to me. 
When the Greeks heard this, it didn't rest well with them because in their pantheon of gods, there were millions of gods or thousands of gods. But you're now telling me there's one who is supreme over everything. And the Greeks would push back on that. The monotheistic Jews would hear this and go, no, no, no. There's one God, only one God. You can't even begin to tell me that this Jesus character is God in his own right. And by the way, there are plenty of cults around you today that will come knocking on your door. And they may hold Jesus up to be a great man they will reject John 1.1. And there's a group that exists among us and it's very common and they'll bring you some really good looking curriculum that says from the Watchtower Society. Yeah. Now listen. And if you say, could I see your Bible, the, the New World Translation, it will say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. Just a slight little tri- variation That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is not a God. He's not an emanation from God. He's God in his own right, fully God. And because he is fully God, as John reveals, he's also capable of fully being your Savior and fully taking on the sins of the world. Jesus is fully God. Now, Pastor Mike, I don't... I gotta be honest, I read something here and I, I'm a little skittish to read verse one with my kids at the table because they're gonna pick up on something and I don't know how to answer it. It says this In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. Okay, I get it, He's with God. And then it says He was God. How in the world can you be with God and at the same time be God? That doesn't even make any sense. Help me understand that. That's because from Genesis through the end of your Bible, there is the clear teaching that God has always existed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, but He exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but each are fully God in their own right. It's the Trinity. The Trinity of, yes, one God, but existing in three distinct but equal persons. Jesus is not vice God. Jesus is fully God in his own right, and the only way that works is the teaching of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which means perfect love has always existed in the Trinity. Perfect unity has always existed in the Trinity. Perfect fellowship has always existed in the Trinity. And by the way, when John talks about eternal life coming through faith in Jesus Christ, it is as though you were partaking in the very life that has existed in the Trinity forever. You just... You just chew on that for a while. The very life of God becomes ours in Christ. Wow. So how could you be with God and God at the same time? There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Pastor Mike, what happens when I'm sitting at my kitchen table and my kids say, I don't understand that. How am I going to explain that? Well, listen, it might happen and you might stumble over that a little bit. And what you can do is you can call Pastor Austin and he'll come to your house and make a house call. Not really. Parents, just because it's complex and just because it's difficult, do not withhold the truth from your children even at a young age because here's what happens. Over time, there will be progressive understanding that will build and build and build and build. And the Spirit of God takes that truth from you, mom and dad, and creates faith in the heart of your children. You say, they don't even understand it. Do you? Fully? 
but you understand it now a lot more than you did five years ago or 20 years ago. Don't hold out the truth because you're afraid you won't be able to fully ex explain it. Trust the Spirit of God to do what He's going to do in the lives of your children. This season is an incredible opportunity to do that. Are they going to tag you with some tough questions around the kitchen table? I hope so. That means they're learning. Jesus is fully God. The Bible in no way backs away from this. The Bible clearly teaches that only God can create something out of nothing. John 1 says it's Jesus that does that. The Bible clearly teaches that only God can forgive sin. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus looks at the paralytic and says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Only God can do that. Mark chapter 6, only God can control nature. Jesus not only walks on the water, he stills the storm, showing that he has complete power over every element of nature. Only God can do that. He has power over disease. He has power over death. Only God has power over death. And oh, by the way, Jesus in no way ever backs up from claiming to be God and fully God. He, ma he doesn't mask it, but he wears it with the humility of being the son of man and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. We'll talk more about that next week. You say, why didn't Jesus go around all the time going, hey, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God? Because he was equally the son of man at the same time and he walked in the humility of that, but he never backed up away from who he was fully God John chapter 8 Jesus is in a uh, discussion with some religious leaders of the day and they're in a spat and they don't completely disagree and they're hurling accusations at Jesus and throwing slander at Jesus because they can't fully get their mind around who this is in their midst. And they say, well, we are born of Abraham. We are Abraham's descendants. What about you? We don't even know who your real daddy is. That's what they say. And he says, listen, guys, I've got news for you. John 8, 58, before Abraham was ever born... I am takes on the very covenant name of God and if you don't think those that were around got what Jesus was saying verse 59 says they picked up huge stones and were ready to kill him because he was blaspheming in their mind Jesus is fully God so when we get our minds around that, we try to pursue that through the power of the Spirit, that Jesus is this Word, this manifestation, this revelation of God, and Jesus is God in His own right, then you come to verse 14, and here's our last big idea, and it's just astounding. Verse 14, John writes, And the Word became flesh. <laughs> Listen, beloved, I pray that's one of the verses in the Bible that never grows old or never goes grows stale to you because every miracle in the Bible hinges on that reality that God is who he says he is and God, Jesus, is God made man. It says he became flesh. If you write in your Bible, circle that word became. That means he took on something that he was not before. He never ceased to be God but he took on humanity and he took on the limitations of humanity. He became a man. And the Bible says he dwelt among us. Circle that word dwelt. And your Bible may say something like tabernacle or some different translation. To the Jews who were reading this, they heard this and something went off in their mind. Because the word he uses is the word tabernacle. 
Jesus tabernacled among his people. And in the mind of a Jew, they immediately go back to the Old Testament in the days of Exodus and Leviticus. And when Israel was walking through the wilderness and God said, build a tent of meeting. And in that tent of meeting, in the center of it, you're going to have the Holy of Holies represented by the Ark of the Covenant. It's going to represent the very presence of God. And then you're going to take animal skins, and you're going to take skin, and you're going to cover the presence of God with skin. And that was God representing himself among his people as dwelling among his people. And then John hearkens back to that and says, oh, by the way, that picture that you saw in the Old Testament, let me tell you who is the fullness and the reality of it. God has now come and tabernacled among his people, and his name is Jesus. It's God with skin on walking among you. He says, we have seen his glory. John says, I've seen him. I walked with him for three and a half years. Glory is of the only, only son from the father. And he is full, full of grace and full of truth. Just a beautiful, beautiful picture. John says, I saw him. I beheld him. I gazed upon him. I saw him in all his glory. The desire for us as a church through Advent is to do exactly what John did and to behold God in his greatness and who he is so that during this Christmas season and throughout the year, nothing will dazzle us like the person of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you kind of an old, a closing illustration and some application to this and we'll close. I don't know what last Saturday night looked like for you before snowmageddon, but for us at our house, there was this sense of anticipation, right? It was, it's kind of exciting. On one sense, I had my pastor hat on. I thought, Sunday morning, it's going to come a blizzard. Come on, man. And then on the other side, I was kind of excited of what was going to come. And so we went to bed. It was around 1130, something like that. It was just rain and gray. There was no snow. And I thought, man, maybe it's going to pass. But then I woke up about 3.30 a.m. And a lot like some of you, I went downstairs. There were some streets, street lights. It was still dark. But I looked out. We have a pretty large window in our kitchen and our living room. And I was looking out this uh, dining room window. And, man, it was just beautiful. Did you all have that experience? I just went out. Snow was coming down. And it was probably, I don't know, four or five inches at that time. A lot more to come. And here's what I did not do. What's this? I did not run downstairs and run up to the window and go, wow, that's awesome. That's good. I didn't do that. You know what I did? I came to the window and a lot like some of you, I just kind of lingered there for a few minutes. Right? Because something in front of me was captivating. It was, it was awesome. And I'd been looking forward to that. It was this anticipation. And I just kind of lingered there through this window of all that was out there. And by the way, all my conversations for the next three or four days were about the snow. Just like yours. Hey, man, did you get snowed in? How much snow did you have at your house? You know, same as you. Because the snow event had captivated us. Here's what I hope happens over the next few weeks with you and your family. I encourage you strongly through the window of the Word of God to linger and just gaze upon Jesus. I'm serious. No, no drive-bys. Oh yeah, I'm going to spend a few minutes with you. Just drive-by. No, no, I was so busy and I got so much stuff. I get all that. But there's something that happens in the people of God when we linger and we gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ. What happens when we linger on who he is? John chapter 20, verse 31, the reason John wrote, John says this, These things have been written, you have this window of the word that you may believe. 
that there may be faith. You say, well, I'm already a believer. Well, faith is not just an event. Faith is a posture before God. And as you continue to behold, you continue to believe. And here's something else that I'm praying this Christmas season. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. and We're not checking out, so just stay with me. Here's something I'm praying specifically for you parents. As you walk through this family discipleship plan and the Advent material, just walk through the Christmas story, my prayer is that John 20, 31, that some of your children, because they continue to hear this Christmas season, will believe. And God will use you, parents, during this Christmas season to hold out who Jesus is. Where does faith come from? By gazing upon the person of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing the word about Christ. Right? Let me tell you something else that happens as we gaze upon who he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that all of us with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed from glory to glory. This Christmas season, as you behold, just gaze upon who Jesus is, guess what God does? He changes you. He continues to chip away the things in your life that don't look like Jesus to conform you to the image of who Jesus is in all of his glory. Are you growing? Are you growing in Christ's likeness? Linger. Linger. And then my prayer is, as God's people, just like the shepherds who came and they were blown away by what they saw in Bethlehem, We'll look at this in just a few days. But as the shepherds came, they beheld the Christ child. They went away, and the Bible says they were just proclaiming all that they had seen, all that they had heard. When you're captivated by something, you won't stop talking about it, right? Everyone in this room is an evangelist about something. All of us. Whatever captivates your heart is what you will be discussing, and nobody can stop you. Lord, captivate our hearts. Jesus, change us and make us more and more like you and bring some to faith during this Christmas season. Would you bow your head with me? We're going to sing a song of worship of our great King. And Father, I do pray at this time, Lord, right now, that you would settle these, these truths down in our hearts and we would leave worshiping. God, I pray we can worship in song right now as we declare what a, what a beautiful name is the name of Jesus. Lord, send us out on mission to declare to everyone around us, God has come. He's come in the person of Christ. Behold your Savior. In Jesus' great name, we all pray together. Amen. Church, why don't you go ahead and stand as our team leads us in song.